It's the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin here to talk JMU sports. We'll preview JMU taking on South Alabama, the Dukes' return to Bridge Four Stadium after three state straight road games. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, we'll start out with um, basketball season is kind of right around the corner. They started practicing this week. Um, they'll get started early November, November 6th, the JMU men's basketball team heads to Michigan State for the opener, will likely be a top five Michigan State team. Uh, so quick, early, early tough test for the Dukes on the hardwood. But their offseason is going quite well. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter um, or read the Daily News record, you will have seen that uh, the Dukes got another big basketball commitment, this time from 6'8 forward Micah Smith. Um, from Atlanta, a player who's just outside the top 150, according to 247 Sports right now. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if he cracks the top 150 um, before the spring when, you know, those lists for the class of 2024 kind of get finalized. But this is, you know, one of the biggest recruits uh, JMU's gotten out of high school in a long, long time. He picked the Dukes over some power five schools. Clemson was recruiting him hard right to the final minutes, uh, final days, uh, had visited him at school, sent head coach Brad Brownell. So that's an indicator of how uh, serious they were taking him when the head coach goes to visit um, on site there. He went the same day that Mark Byington went down. Mark Byington out recruits his old buddy. <laughs> uh, they're good friends um, from the UNCW days. And Mark Byington wins that recruiting battle. Mississippi State, Western Kentucky, Bradley, Florida, Gulf Coast, and some other mid-majors down in Georgia, all pretty heavily in the mix to the end with this one. Micah Smith joins Red Thompson, point guard from Richmond from uh, the great John Marshall program in Richmond that seems to win the uh, seems to win the state championship every year uh, in Virginia. Really good program, point guard who's even depending on the rankings that you check out is even a higher rated player than Smith. They have two three star recruits. And this is probably going to do it for JMU basketball recruiting for the time being until spring comes and they can kind of see um, what the roster is going to look like as far as transfers either leaving JMU or transfers that are available to recruit from other programs once the season ends. They probably want to wait and see what that is and see how many scholarships they want to actually give to high school players. But for a two-person recruiting class, this is taking it to another level for JMU, for men's basketball. Right now, according to 247 Sports, the Dukes have the number 30 class in the entire nation. Now, there are um, there are things about that, um, the ranking system that we can get into that is not necessarily the most accurate thing right this time of year. But even just to be kind of mentioned along those schools and have that kind of thing going on. It's unprecedented for JMU basketball. 
I think back to about five years ago when I kind of first started covering JMU basketball. Um, <clears throat> the Dukes, you know, get a commitment. They sign Mike Christmas, a three-star recruit from Virginia Beach. And the level of excitement from the staff, from the um, fan base that like was paying close attention to JMU basketball at that time, which wasn't as big as it is now because <laughs> the Dukes were, were down. But the level of excitement for getting one guy – of that caliber was very high. And now we've reached a point where JMU basketball, that's routine to sign those guys. Mark Byington is going to have an entire roster of that level of recruit next year, uh, well, this year um, and next year, the way things are going. Um, those three-star recruits who are borderline high major players, um, and with the transfer portal, it's been a little bit easier for JMU to get those guys um, via transfer. You look at uh, a TJ Bicker staff, who I might add was pretty instrumental in recruiting Micah Smith, uh, coming from the same high school. Spent a lot of time with him on his official visit. Um, TJ's dad, Tim, is a volunteer assistant coach at Sandy Creek High School down there in Atlanta. So that connection definitely helped the Dukes. And, uh, TJ here in just a short time at JMU is liking it well enough to uh, to do a lot of recruiting for for JMU, um, even though he's going to just be here for one season as a as a grad transfer. Um, so, you know, back to what the roster is looking like. You know, TJ Bickerstaff was a similar level recruit when he was coming out of high school. Spent four years two at Drexel, two at Boston College. Now he's at JMU. Um, you know, guys like Terrence Edwards, Justin Amati were similar level recruits. But then also coming in, um, you know, a, a Quincy Allen coming in as a transfer from Colorado, a DMV guy who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. The talent level the recruiting going on is at a level that it, I'm not sure it's been at, um, at for JV basketball, at least not since Lefty Drizel was in Harrisonburg in the nineties. And I'd have to go back and really dig into like exactly who he was getting. I know there were some big name guys and there were some big name transfers and everything at that time too, but you'd have to, you know, really dig into like exactly who they were getting to say, which, which era was better as far as recruiting goes for JMU basketball. And the interesting thing about it right now is Almost every sport on campus at JMU is recruiting at a higher level than they have ever before. And I think there are different reasons, different factors for each sport, but it does it's enough to make you wonder how much the FBS move and the move into the Sun Belt has just helped improve the notoriety and the um, branding of the entire athletic department. I think that's got to play some role in it. Now you can go through each individual sport and there are certain things that like also the timing is just perfect. I think maybe for the Sunbelt move softball's got more high level, you know, top 100, even top 10 recruits than they've ever had. Um, but that's partially the effect of these are the classes that were moved by JMU making a deep run into the college world series lacrosse. It's a similar situation. They're still, they've got the players already on campus. Um, you know, that are almost older, old, older 
upperclassmen now that were the ones who were recruited and swayed by the national championship in 2018 because spring sport kids tend to just commit earlier. Um, a lot of them have their decisions made by late in their sophomore year, early in their junior year. And that sprint, those spring runs kind of, you know, um, end up making a difference for a class or two later than when they actually occur. So there's that, but you look at volleyball right now, they've recruited very well. Uh, maybe have some of their best highest regarded prospects are just coming to campus right now as freshmen. Um, both soccer teams have landed some players that previously were just kind of not on the radar for JMU, um, including, you know, a, a UNC decommit in women's soccer. We're talking about the best, historically the best women's soccer program in the country. And somebody who was originally supposed to go Chapel Hill is coming to JMU and Jeanette Fieldson. Um, football, obviously been well documented that they are recruiting a different caliber of athletes since the FBS move. And, you know, they're getting guys who are, you know, ranked by all the recruiting services and whatnot. So, but to see it in men's basketball too, I think that it definitely is a part of the whole Sunbelt effect, the ESPN effect. There's a lot of things playing in, in JMU's favor across the board, across the athletic department. But there's some interesting factors in basketball too. There's the brand new arena. There is a new coaching staff that's done a very good job. Um, obviously, they're they're very good recruiters. The entire staff, Mark Byington, um, John Crimmins was really instrumental down in Atlanta, and Micah Smith. You got uh, Xavier Joyner. Um, really works his connections up in the DMV area and the Northeast in general. Um, has done a great job getting guys. Um, the, the entire uh, recruiting, the entire coaching staff is shown themselves to be great recruiters. And Byington is a really good closer for some of these guys who uh, do do a lot of the legwork <clears throat> throughout the year. Um, there, so that's definitely a factor. But Jamie is also like really taking advantage of what's happening just in the greater ski, the grand picture of college basketball right now, where, you know, like I said before, they're probably done recruiting high school guys unless somebody really spectacular that they can't pass up comes along on the high school scene until spring. They're probably done really looking much at high school guys because they've, they've figured out the system where, they can get some of these guys to commit early. A Red Thompson, a Micah Smith, be previously probably would have given guys who would have maybe waited until the spring, seen if uh, their senior seasons kind of generated more offers, things like that. But the transfer portal has really made it so guys of this level are available to mid-majors who are willing to take a chance on them out of high school. A lot of high major programs would rather wait and just take guys out of the portal, which JMU also likes to do. So they've got a good mix of this. The last two years, they've taken some early high school guys that were higher level recruits than JMU is typically able to really get their foot in the door with, and then waited to get some veteran proven guys in the transfer portal. And that seems to be a very good formula for success, for recruiting success for JMU basketball, uh, and the way, kind of the way of the future with the one-time transfer rule, the transfer portal, 
everything that makes it easier for people to transfer and makes, you know, more likely to get some veteran proven guys, power five programs kind of just want to abandon the whole development thing at all. It's not necessarily worth their time at this point. JMU can play both of those and they can develop and they've done a good job of retaining people. Talked to mentioned Terrence Edwards earlier, a guy who's entering his fourth season at JMU. Um, is potentially a, a preseason, you know, Sunbelt Player of the Year type of guy going into his fourth season. And he stayed at JMU. I mean, he could certainly have transferred somewhere and played and gotten offers to go play at high majors, at Power Five level schools. And JMU's done a good job of just kind of retaining the people that they want to retain, even in these eras of people transferring a lot. I mean, you look at JMU, who they've lost the transfer portal. I think probably the one guy who they really, really wanted to keep and couldn't would be Terrell Strickland. And that's a completely different situation where he's transferring to go play for the team that was the worst team in the country last year, but his dad is the coach and he's going to go help his dad turn that around um, with his brother. Uh, Not a situation where they typically would have lost Terrell. So their transfer or their retention of players that they've developed has been absolutely spectacular as well. Bodes well if they're now getting a higher level recruit that they hopefully can keep around for three to four years at JMU. Um, the basketball situation just looks, you know, pretty incredible right now uh, for the Dukes. I, for one, am per- looking forward to November when we get to enjoy both basketball and football at the same time because it should be should be a very exciting, uh, interesting time for all the programs, whether you're talking men's or women's basketball or football. We should have a ton going on here in Harrisonburg around JMU. In early November, that'll be a lot of fun. But right now, it is late September. It is the one-third way through the college football season. JMU, 4-0, and will take on South Alabama in Harrisonburg this Saturday. I'll be there at Bridge Four Stadium along with you know, 25,000 of uh, my closest friends, it seems like, because it's a... Uh, Essentially sold out. There were some return tickets, I think mostly from the, the visitors of South Alabama allotment, some return tickets. So there are some seats available, at least as of, you know, earlier on Thursday as I record this. But probably going to be pretty close to a packed house. The Dukes returning home after three straight road games where they have played well enough to win every game, becoming 4 0. And take on a South Alabama team that a lot of people kind of, they weren't officially the um, voted on favorites to win the West. But I think, you know, you look at a lot of magazines and preseason publications and everything. A lot of people had South Alabama, South Alabama as that favorite in the West after going 10 and three last year, um, losing a narrow one to Troy, who ended up winning the, the Sunbelt championship. They brought back a lot. Carter Bradley at quarterback, Damian Webb at running back. Their offense should give JMU's defense a test, but it's hard to say enough about JMU's defensive line and what the Dukes have done when it comes to stopping the run and getting to the quarterback so far this season. 
Let's talk defensive line. I published a story earlier today just about, you know, what the Dukes have done up front where um, they lead all FBS teams, which is how I'm going to kind of phrase it this year as they're not officially on the NCAA stat leader board um, on the NCAA website due to the transition period. Um, They were included throughout most of last season, and then the NCAA decided that was like a mistake and took them off at the very end of last season. So, you know, like a Todd Santeo last year was, you know, ranked among among the top quarterbacks in a lot of categories um, for the vast majority of the season and then kind of disappeared when the season ended. Uh, that was why they decided that the transitioning teams, JMU, Sam Houston, and uh, Jacksonville State uh, weren't part of that because of the transition rules and how it all works. It, it's stupid, but at the same time, kind of meaningless because you can certainly find the stats there to uh, figure out where the Dukes rank and the Dukes rank first or tied for first in the following categories rush defense averaging or allowing 41 and a half yards per game on the ground. That's first by a significant margin Um, sacks sack yardage tackles for loss that's what Jamie's been doing up front. They're tied for first in all of those categories and doing it with a defensive line that um, is basically six guys playing every snap on defense for the Dukes. It's, it's fairly incredible. You look at guys like Jalen Green, Mikhail Kamara, Jamie Cromar, James Carpenter. That's essentially the starting defensive line. I know Tyreek Tucker listed first on the depth chart, but those are the four. Those are the top four guys on the defensive line. And they're four of your five leading tacklers on this team, all just behind Aiden Fisher, uh, the linebacker thrust into duty because, uh, you know, Torse Jones and uh, Jalen Walker are, have been out for the past couple of games. And we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with those two uh, this weekend they are, you know, when it comes to practicing, they're um, active in practice, but probably not, you know, getting hit much. Um, li- limited duty, I guess, is what you could say in practice, but they're definitely not looking like people who are out for the season at this point. Um, similar with, a, you know, running back Tyson Lawton, who missed some of the uh, Utah State game. Uh, but, you know, those are guys I don't, anticipate being gone for the long term, but whether or not they're ready to go this Saturday against South Alabama, I don't know. But back to the defensive line, um, as I ramble a little bit, lose trap, get off topic, back to the defensive line. Those four guys have just been absolutely incredible with Tyreek Tucker, the redshirt freshman, really getting his first significant action of his career over, over the past three games doing an admirable job um, filling in and giving them guys, those guys some rest. Emmanuel Bush is the sixth guy and the sixth guy by, you know, a fairly significant difference difference. It's the, it's those five who are getting, you know, the vast majority of the reps. It seems like asking a lot to put five guys basically on the field all the time. We're talking 50 or more snaps for uh, those main four. And the level that they're playing at to really be responsible for all those numbers and uh, 
stats that I was talking about earlier being the leaders, <clears throat> the national leaders, JMU is, uh, for basically any stat that measures how good your defensive line is, fairly, fairly unbelievable at this time. Um, you know, can talk a little bit about Mikhail Kamara. I've been wanting to kind of highlight him a little bit more because, you know, guys, and it's really hard to highlight one guy because James Carpenter is absolutely unbelievable. Jamin Chroma is having a career year. Jalen Green has been unbelievable. But to talk about, uh, you know, Mikhail Kamara a little bit, is a guy who's had injuries that have kept him from playing a full season ever in his career. But go back a couple of weeks ago when we were getting ready to talk about the Troy game. And we want to talk about how good Troy's uh, then suspended defensive end pass rusher TJ Jackson was. We talked about, you know, his, you know, unbelievable stats um, at that point. I think like 14 sacks, uh, a couple forced fumbles, a lot of things over the course of about 14 games really is what we're talking about. If you go and look at Mikhail Kamara and what he's done in the same amount of games played, he is statistically better and more productive and more disruptive than TJ Jackson, who I think pretty much everybody would have said coming into the year is was probably the number one defensive lineman in the Sun Belt. You, know, you could probably, you know, throw James Carpenter into that conversation too. But Mikhail Kamara over <clears throat> the first 14, 15 games of his career that he's really played has put up basically as good or better numbers across the board where we're talking sacks, tackles for losses, forced fumbles, all the things that you want to measure a guy who plays the same position on as good or better than TJ Jackson. I think when you're talking about underrated players um, across the country and in the Sun Belt and everything else, like Mikhail Kamara has been just absolutely unbelievable. He manhandles people. He's, you know, he plays a defensive end, even though he kind of looks like a tackle. Um, and I don't know what that means for his potential, like NFL prospects, uh, just not necessarily having like the traditional stand up defensive ends body. But it's it's pretty unbelievable what Kale Kamara has done in somewhat of an abbreviated JMU career. He's managed to stay healthy so far this season. We'll knock on wood because one would any uh, ill will on him, and um, any more injuries up front would not be good for the Dukes. Uh, absolutely, too. I know he worked on some things with his body and training and everything in the off season to kind of try to avoid. Um, having some more of those injury problems. So far, he stayed pretty healthy um, and <clears throat> has really been a unbelievable presence and force on the defensive line for the Dukes. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to you know, highlight him as a guy who has done spectacular things, even playing alongside guys who all do spectacular things. I think I feel like Mikhail Kamara has really kind of stood out on the defensive line for the Dukes. You know, <clears throat> to get into like a little bit more with the South Alabama matchup, um, 
how concerning that might be for JMU that um, that Carter Bradley coming in at quarterback for the Jaguars has been, you know, throwing for a lot of yards. He's completing about 70% of his passes. He's a veteran guy who doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And we're talking about the JMU secondary that has given up more than 300 yards passing per game. And you look at the quarterbacks that they played, you know, they saw two fresh, two true freshmen thrown into the mix against them. And while both of those guys did quite well, as far as, you know, the yardage they threw, uh, you know, Jamie was able to get some hits on them, disrupt them, uh, force them into mistakes. <clears throat> the two late interceptions uh, by McKay Hillfield at um, Utah state were, you know, critical in JMU pulling out that victory. Um, when you look at that, I think Carter Bradley compares more to Troy's Gunnar Watson as far as experience goes, but he's a better quarterback. And Gunnar Watson is, you know, really um, just an okay Sunbelt quarterback. He's been good. He's been solid. Um, he's been even better this year probably. Um but Carter Bradley, I think, came in as, you know, a preseason all Sunbelt type of player. Um, he's been really solid. He's thrown for a lot of yards. He's completing 70% of his passes. Slowing down the South Alabama passing game may be the, one of the bigger challenges that the Dukes have faced this year because, the, you know, they also have a good running game behind LaDamian Webb, who's really good. And I think you can probably count on him not running wild against JMU, but a guy who has a low center of gravity, who has um, the ability to bounce off some tackles is just, you know, hard to bring down. Um, if he, you know, gets to the second level, will be kind of tough to stop. I think if any team has a chance to at least have the threat of the run being part of their attack against the Dukes. South Alabama is among the teams left on JMU's schedule that can do that. I would also throw Marshall into that mix. Um, but if they get anything going in a run game, South Alabama does, it's going to make it a much tougher for JMU to win this one. Um, the Dukes are a narrow favorite at home. Uh, it just appears to be, fairly evenly matched across the board for JMU. Jordan McLeod has continued to play reasonably well um, through for a lot of yards at Utah state, but ended up turning the ball over three times. Uh, maybe some factors involved in that got a little colder. Um, <clears throat> some bad luck perhaps on uh, one of the fumbles or, or an interception near the sideline. But for the most part, McLeod has played pretty well. The running game has been solid, if not spectacular, with a deep running back room. Um, I feel like Tyson Lawton, if he's able to play for JMU this week, is a little bit of an X factor. I think he um, he gives him a little bit different look. He's a little more escapable, I feel like, um, as a running back. And you know, JMU to some degree is kind of looking for some for some big plays on the ground to. Um, balance out what they're doing offensively a little bit more. Um, maybe a big player too on the ground kind of 
helps in the third quarters. You know, Jamie has been outscored in the third quarters this year by, by a fairly significant margin. I can't remember the exact numbers now. They have really, really taken two teams in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter this year. Third quarters have been a little bit rough for the Dukes. Opposite of last year where Jamie was really, really good in the third quarter coming out of halftime, um, they have not done quite as well in that situation this year. Um, I don't know if there's really much of a rhyme or reason to it so far other than you know possibly wearing down in some spots where they're not so deep um as you get into the second half and then possibly digging deep in their souls to uh, make some plays late in games which they've done successfully but i do kind of wonder if you know being able to move the chains running the ball in the third quarter where they're kind of trying to shorten the game a little bit after getting leads things like that if a guy like Tyson Lawton can help them do that, um, along with Kalon Black, along with Otrell Palmer, who I think is still going, wasn't listed on the two deep this week, I think is still going to get um, his carries for this team. Uh, Kalon Black is is obviously a very good runner, um, and you know potentially a kind of a a breakout guy for the Jukes carrying the ball. Um, a guy who can give you 100 yards in a game if you really, if he, if he's really feeling it. But Lawton to me is just a guy who is the one who might evade a tackle to keep a drive going. The one who might do some of those things that really kind of um, keep the offense on the field in the third quarter, which has been a little bit of an issue when I think JMU has wanted to rest their defense when they've wanted to shorten the game a little bit after getting ahead. They haven't really been able to do it with their running game um, in those early parts of the second half. So we'll see what JMU is able to get, if anything, from Lawton, if he'll be able to play. We'll find out. Um, I'll be on the field pregame trying to uh, figure out what's up with uh, Taurus Jones and Jalen Walker. I I feel like it's probably, you know – Possible they may play this week or maybe another week or two. Uh, really just hard to say. Um, don't think these are season-ending injuries for either of those guys. But we'll find out more early on, you know, probably an hour or so before kickoff. We'll, we'll try to see what it looks like if they're dressed and ready to go. Um, but in the meantime, this has been the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. Um, I'm Shane Metlin. As always, talking about JMU sports and JMU football in particular this fall. And thank you for listening.